0: you listen podcast with my mom Shalini and my auntie Leonica. Welcome back. We don't care if you listen. I don't care if you listen is the name of our podcast. I'm Shalini. She's Leonica and joining us on the scene today, our dear friend Kim Phillips. Welcome to the show. Happy to have you. So it's
1: exciting.
0: good. And I appreciate you listening. I was telling Leonica like you texted me out of nowhere and you were like, yeah, I've been listening to your podcast. I was like, sweet. Somebody's listening. I love it. You are really appreciated. Oh,
1: yeah. You don't even know we're having full-on conversations because I'm like, every time you guys talk about something, I'm involving myself in your conversation.
0: I love it. I have things to say. We got into this saying, man, we've got a lot to cover with this whole Brett Kavanaugh confirmation and the rage that I'm feeling about it. Uh, Yeah. Leonica put me onto this uh, podcast today, uh, the Call Your Girlfriend podcast with Ann Friedman. And uh, Amina Tau-Sao, great podcast. They had an author on by the name of Rebecca Trazer, who wrote a book called Good and Mad. And basically, it talks about the revolutionary power of pissed off women. Pissed off women have done a lot of things that we don't give them credit for. It's because of pissed off women that we have a lot of the labor laws that we have. It's because of pissed off women that things get done. Um, Then, of course, we get this whole... Of course, we're gonna put a guy in the Supreme Court who's gonna tell you what to do with your body. Because of course, we should do that. Because that's such a good idea. Because he has
2: so much respect for your body.
0: <sighs> Raging, we are more than half the population. But it was a great—it's a great podcast. It's a great listen. I'll be checking that out again. We'll get to some of that cabinet uh, conversation. Kim, you commented and said, "Shalini, I've been listening to the podcast. You said I'd really love to chat about ageism." And I think to give people a little background as to your perspective, it'd be great to hear where you're coming from, what, what you do for a living so that people can kind of understand what it is that you're seeing day to day.
1: So I manage a senior center, but, and when I say senior center, it's an activities and recreation center. So it's exercise and travel and education and interest groups. But when you say to somebody, I manage a senior center, their brain immediately goes to wheelchairs and bingo. We have some of that, but it's a really active center. And I serve ages 50 and up. So in theory, I'm really serving four generations, I guess you could say. Sure. So at all different levels of activity and ability and interest. So we have about... 1500 members at our center so it's big and it's it's active and it's getting busier every day so that's that's what I do that's what they pay me to do
0: in your work you are seeing viewpoints from people that are kind of pigeonholing people once they become a certain age which is it, which is bugging you and and it's not just even i watched the ted talk that you sent it's not just from the 50 plus audience cuz i'm 42 like i'm knocking on the door Me too. And, you know, I think about conversations with my... Well, what I was going to say is it's on both sides of that, because you also talked about your daughter. And she's what, 21? 22? 23. 23. She's 23. And she's running into the issue of people not taking her seriously because she's just a millennial, that conversation. But I think about people like my mom who... Came to the States in 1968, you know, an independent physical therapist. She like was ready to take care of her family in India. And she, you know, she moved all the way to a different country and started as a PT in Patterson, New Jersey, and then just kind of like, you know, started her own business and was this strong, independent woman, which was not necessarily the norm for people of her background in that age group. And now she's doing things like doing a study with the University of Michigan where she keeps a tag in her car so they can see how elderly people drive. And so I have this conversation with my mom like, you know, what if there does come an age where, you know, you shouldn't be driving? The look of dread on her face is like, you even come close to talking about me not driving and we're going to box. And the more I started reading your email and the things that you were saying, like, yeah, that, that must be annoying. I, that is a thing. I guess we don't think about it. We just automatically put people in a box when they get to a certain age and say, okay, this is where you belong.
2: Unfortunately, I have had to think about it because my mom did get into a situation where she couldn't drive temporarily. And yeah, she was pissed. You know my mama, Michelle. Oh, yeah. It looks could kill, I, wouldn't have I done would not have been 12 <laughs> feet
0: under. Day to day, Kim, do you find that you have to I, I don't want to say taking away people's sense of freedom that way as they age, or do you think that it's more or less people come to their own resol- their own solutions of what they need to do as they age? It's
1: a mix, and again, that's my that's kind of my point is that it's not like once everybody hits seventy two, they all of a sudden can't drive, and let take everybody's driver's licenses away. I have some that have to stop driving because of medical conditions in their late 60s, early 70s, and I have a 95-year-old woman who drives herself to the center every day for exercise and drives just fine. So it's like anything else. You can't put any particular category in a box. You can't. There are 20-year-olds that are horrible drivers. Sure. So to just say that all old people are bad drivers is it's the same as if i said to you all asians are terrible drivers right you can't you can't make that it's a stereotype and it's unfortunate and it's not an appropriate or accurate stereotype
0: so do you think that um because even in the ted talk the lady was saying that there are fewer and fewer cases of alzheimer's and dementia it sounds like the general message is that there's more of it hi buddy Um, my show turned off. Okay, I'll come turn it on, okay? We are um, out of Star Wars movies, so I am on Bubble Guppies episodes. I gotta go. I'll make that happen. Uh, a um, little shorter, huh? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, but, but Don't let me forget about the Alzheimer's conversations. Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's. Kim, I want to talk about sex because
2: I know for a fact, because my agency does, provides a lot of senior services and um, even some assisted living and nursing homes, I was really surprised to learn that the rate of STDs in nursing homes was so high. Can you speak on that
1: a little bit? Well, okay, now bear in mind that, I mean, I'm dealing day-to-day with a population that's still living independently. This came to light because in in my world, we actually offered speed dating for seniors last year, and it created a really intriguing community conversation, but it followed up and we can talk about the response to that. But then I had people in the community talking about the fact that like, I guess the incidence of gonorrhea in Kalamazoo County in the over 65 set is like, on a, it's a double digit increase.
0: Whoa. And it's. What did I just walk into? What do you guys... What? We're just
1: talking about the of STD depletion. Okay. Because they still want connection. They still crave human touch. Sure. That's what makes us human. But they're also in a situation where they don't think they can get pregnant, so they don't use appropriate protection and you typically have an imbalance of men to women so you might have one particular gentleman in a setting that's having relationships with multiple women so would you like to sit down with your mother at her age and say hey we need to have a talk about using condoms like you don't think you need to but it sounds like we do and i guess in residential facilities down in florida it's almost at like epidemic proportions but i think the point to take away from makes that makes sense is though because when we were talking about speed dating and we offered this speed dating event for older adults and people kept saying really speed dating and so my response was what's the expiration date when do you stop wanting connection and contact and you know the last sense you ever lose at any stage of your life is physical touch. You can feel touch no matter what other sense. And so you have some people that are lonely to think about it, who maybe don't have anybody to hold their hand or, you know, rub their back or give them a hug. And so in these situations, people are lonely and desperate for contact. And so, you know, they might make bad choices in some situations.
0: Which is where if we weren't ageist as a society, we would have an education curriculum in place, similar to what we do with prevention of pregnancy for teenagers, etc. We would have that um, kind of just built into the system once people, I don't know if I we want to say they become single, but once they kind of enter the senior uh, social structure world, uh, maybe the, the, that's a conversation of a little more education there. That's funny, though, touch is the most powerful form of communication. I often say, if I could buy a homeless person a massage instead of food, I would, I would probably opt to do that if they wouldn't look at me crazy. And if I had a massage therapist that was on board, because can you imagine going years and years without anybody giving you a hug or a touch or anything like nothing? I mean, I just sit there and throw my feet up on my husband's lap, like, do something with them. I don't know. Touch them. Do something. <laughs> they hurt.
1: <laughs> Leah, I don't know if you see this, but what what I know that some of my counterparts in residential facilities see is when somebody is, it health fails to the point where they need to go into a residential facility even short term, they find that very often their health begins to improve because they are around people, and they are, they, are, you know, even nurses or you know nurses aides, they are getting touch where they may have been living by themselves and had no interaction with anybody. So they kind of have a bounce back because of that.
0: It's a non-residential um, community, yours, right? Or is yours residential and non-residential?
1: We are non-residential. We you have to be in living uh, independently, functioning to come in to our facility. We are not a care facility.
0: Did you tell Leonica that, that your speed dating was featured on the Today Show? <laughs> That's awesome. Which is pretty That's cool. Pretty not that the Today right. Show is like the litmus test of success. I, I'm just surprised I, I mean, I'm hoping it gave a lot of people ideas to do it. If I could be a matchmaker, I would so be a matchmaker. I love watching, regardless of age, I love watching people date and fall in love and all that stuff. I just think that stuff's awesome.
1: I wish more people could have seen what happens because the experience is very transformative for the people that participate. So we have 15 men and 15 women. You put them in that. We do it in a restaurant. It's in a private room, and you kind of and they're very nervous. And you can see their nonverbals are very tense in the beginning. And I always start off by saying, take sex off the table, take marriage off the table, take dating off the table. This is the opportunity to just make 15 new friends tonight. And by the time they rotate through and spend five minutes with each person, their whole everybody's nonverbals completely change. They're opening up. Their bodies are becoming more expansive. They're leaning in. They're, you know, it's, 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 um, it's. I can't even begin to tell you like how amazing it is to see that happen.
0: It's exciting to know that that button for socialization still works. Yes. I, I, I think that we sometimes forget those body parts are still working. <laughs> they're still uh, working. The seniors
2: that we have now are not the same generation of seniors that we think of stereotypically like my grandmother was born in 1917 my grandfather in 1909 you know they had a complete different set of values those individuals now who are senior citizens used to be hippies Mm
1: -hmm. right
2: we got to remember that they lived an entirely different life so they're taking on aging in an entirely different way like My mom drives me crazy, man. She is exhausting trying to keep up with her. I'm going to write a book one day called Adventures with Mary. They're vocal. They're active as in active in the community, active in politics. They believe in voting. They believe in protesting. And they believe in love.
0: (laughs) But back to my love-hate relationship with, I have a love-hate relationship with social media. I love it for the connections. I love it for whatever reasons. Sometimes the older generation are not using social media properly, and they are, they are who the hackers, et cetera, are looking to screw up, for lack of a better word. My mom shares stuff because she's got the clickbait syndrome. Like, she'll see the headline. She won't read it. She'll just click it. She'll share it. If the Russians were going to get to us, they definitely were going to use our baby boomers because baby boomers on Facebook they will help perpetuate stupid messages because that's just what they do. Kim, last week, Leonica and I were talking about how crazy it is that we're the generation that knows life pre-internet and post-internet. Weird, right? It's weird. So, so weird. I Go.
1: got my first email account when Catherine was like a month old. That was 23-some years ago. I mean, I'll never forget. AOL.
2: <laughs> You've got mail. <laughs>
1: Uh,
2: Oh, I hate dial up. Oh my God, that was the worst.
0: But I mean, it's such a bizarre sense of connection that now that generation is so excited about it because to them, they're like, wait a second. I can stay in touch with all of these people in one place like all the time. And I can tell them what I think all the time. And now I know what they think all the time. And it is, it's a little much. It's a little, whew, it's a little, makes my head explode just thinking about what that could do to us psychologically, especially to an older audience, the power to do that from what they saw. I mean, they were living in black and white. That's crazy.
1: Right, I know. And think about like, we have people that don't aren't highly skilled on computers, but nowadays, You can't access certain services unless you know how to use your computer and apply through the internet and You know, and that's a challenge for like older adults that don't aren't comfortable with computers or don't have those skills I was forced to order my
2: lunch at Wendy's on a computer today. There were people like behind the counter, but someone directed me to a computer with a picture screen I mean it was a huge it wasn't just a regular iPad it was very intimidating
1: for me
0: if it's intimidating for you I can't even imagine I saw a lady today at the store she had to ask the man to come around the the checkout lane to take the stuff out because she just was physically couldn't take the stuff out of her cart and I was like that takes a lot to be able to ask that
1: they're not all List. that's the thing right
0: you saw one
1: woman at the grocery store and that's the whole ageism thing like I was just at a conference that was talking about you know it's the area agency on aging conference in the state people that are on assistance and people that need meals on wheels and all that kind of stuff but and yes there are people out there that need that help but that's not everybody right and so, like I, I really I struggle with when people want to kind of put these global assumptions on like there could be a ninety five year old that's out there shopping it up and running marathons. Totally. So you have careful not to put it all in a bucket.
0: It's true, you're right. And you're right. But what I think my ultimate point there was that being active and staying active as long as you can you know, and not letting that number be the reason that you stop staying active. Quite frankly, I was impressed she was out grocery shopping because I see people at 70 who sit on the couch and are just like, I can't do anything because I'm 70. But do do you find people themselves, like seniors, are themselves ageists?
1: Yes. And I think we all do that. Oh, I'm having a senior moment. Well, guess what? People at other ages forget things too. They may put those kind of ageist assumptions on their peers but not want to assume it for themselves. And so I think I told you in my email, I challenged even my staff. Um, Last year, we used to have a weather closing policy because I know you're in Florida now, but in Michigan, it snows in the winter. (laughs) and. our policy used to be that if the schools closed because of weather, the senior center was closed. And I went to the administration and said, I think we need to change this because there are some days they might close schools, but the roads are fine." And their attitude was, well, seniors shouldn't drive in the snow. Like, I can give you a whole list of people of other ages who probably shouldn't drive in the snow as well. And that's an ageist assumption that every member of the senior center is incapable of driving if there's, you know, a dusting of snow on the ground. I fought that, and we ended up changing the policy. If people feel like they're comfortable enough to get out and drive in the weather, then by God, we're going to be open and give them a place to go. But let them decide that for themselves. Don't decide it for them,
0: especially because they're grown up and they know what they're doing. And let them be.
1: I fight with people in the industry all the time. I always say I am not running a preschool. Like, how how dare we treat these adults who have earned the right to do what they? to do. So I was telling a story to somebody at a conference about the speed dating and how we have it at a restaurant. And if they want to order a cocktail, we let them order a cocktail. And a senior center director from another state said to me, I can't believe you let them drink. Let them? See, and I just, I, that, that type of attitude absolutely infuriates me. Well, who cares adult though. You're adult. So. <laughs> Get a glass of wine. Lose it up. You've earned the right. God, I mean, like, it's not my place to tell them they can or can't.
0: Who can't stop them? Right. We're talking about this, but it's one of those things, Kim. I, I think it's so ingrained. It's like a lot of the things that Leonica and I discussed. Some things seem so ingrained in the system. I have no idea. How do we shift perceptions and, and the laws that are combined with these fudged up, perceptions, like why do we have laws associated with shitty shit?
1: I think with the political state the way it is, and you can spend a lot of time getting very frustrated with the world, I always say you gotta be the change you want to see. And the only thing I can control is my universe. So
0: I know a lot of people, Kim, that have parents now, you know, like I said, I'm 42. Leonica, I know you take care of Marianne a lot. I'm an only child, so I sometimes am intimidated by the idea of entering into this world here, I've left my parents in Michigan. I've moved down south. I'm so far away. I've taken their only grandchild away. There's that guilt. I also look at them as very functioning, independent. They've got their community. Like right. they're all set. Like I feel like they've got their crew and they're good with that. And. Why should I intrude on that time, too? They don't need you sitting on them right now. What are you going to do? They don't need it. I'm very intrigued by this conversation, especially because it's making me reflect on a lot of things that I maybe perceive or have I, you know, what have I said or done in, in that perception?
2: You're an ageist. I'm an ageist, too. I, I got it real bad, like boomers, because, of course, my mom was a boomer. and We were always in conflict. Oh. Um, And now I'm just like questioning a lot of things that I'm seeing my parents and my friends' parents do. Like really? Um, things that they didn't encourage in us. You know what I mean? Like what? Uh, Right. Well the risky sexual behavior. Oh. For one, like they
0: freaks. Oh, that's gross. I don't know why. I shouldn't see and see that's ages of me to think it's gross. I shouldn't think it's gross. That is ageist of me.
1: Yeah. At what age are you going to want to stop? Let that's the thing. So, like, we expect older adults in our minds to not be sexual beings, if you will. But at what age? I'm. 47. There's no rule that says, well, I got to stop at 50. I would hope that that would be a part of our lives as long as possible. Right. I think
2: it's because older generations always kind of said, you know, be a lady. And they pretended like they weren't having sex. And that's what's different with this new generation with the boomers. Like my grandmother, no, she would never... You know, you you just don't assume and, and you don't ask a lady her age. And, you know, there are just certain things that they didn't do because that was not acceptable behavior. The boomers, like I said, they were,
0: um, they were hippies. See, okay, I tried to get my mom to smoke weed. When she was going through chemo, I thought we were going to bond on that. I couldn't get her... I tried to... I talked to Melissa Etheridge. Melissa Etheridge, you know, was talking about how medical marijuana is what helped her. I couldn't get my mom on that cool boat with that. I, I wish she would have, because I think that would have been our thing. But do you think that there is a market or have you seen like the pure romance um, type of parties for? <laughs> well, no. not
2: even made a face.
1: <laughs> i don't even like those parties oh
0: kim oh, but they're so fun the thing is is if we're wowed by the technology can you imagine like they're gonna be like hell yeah
1: <laughs> this one has a usb port.
0: <laughs> there might be a, i'm just you know, pure romance reps you can you can give me 20 percent. i'm just saying there's your idea pure romance reps use it run with it do it. And if you're real. a
2: little bit uncomfortable, that's okay, because I don't care if you listen. This is real, and we're going to keep it that way.
0: That's the way it's got to stay every day, <laughs> I'm saying. <laughs> when you asked what age do you stop, I don't think there is an age where you stop, where that stops. I hope. So, Cheryl, um, didn't you have a question about Alzheimer's? Oh, you said all times Alzheimer's. Yes. No, I didn't have a question about it. I said I was excited about the new research that says that it's going away, that we're getting less and less of that. And that's a bucket that we automatically put people, elderly people, into elderly. What's the term? What do I do? You say elderly? Like I don't want to be offensive. I don't want to say old people. I don't want to say elderly people. Seniors.
1: Right. But, you know, they don't like that either. And the thing is, is that we've struggled with that even with the name of our center, because a lot of people don't want to take on that, that senior moniker. But, you know, our culture is one of the few that does not have a good respected word for, you know, like in like tribes, tribal elders or how elders are held in high esteem, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's different words in different cultures. I, my staff at the center, we always just refer to our older adults or members or clients. We try really hard not to use, while we are the senior center, we don't, Uh we try not to use the word seniors in terms of putting them all Uh in that bucket, because they don't, that's not how they see themselves. So, um, so we just, they're, they're clients or members. We just, we try not to, everybody views themselves as younger than they are anyway. So it's hard to. There's some perks to Aging though, like
2: (laughs) I know right now, I I always wanted to be older because I was always told I was too young all the time for everything. I was too young, too young. I was just too young when I started working. Oh, what do I know? Because I was young, I didn't have any experience. I'm you know, the new kid on the block. So now that I'm 41, it's nice to have people be able to say, okay, there is some value maybe in in her thoughts or, you know, the things that she's saying, kind of. But I'm sure if I get around some 60, 70 year olds, they will put me in my place really quick. But another value that I can't wait for is that big 50
0: you get that AARP discount (laughs) is it that significant everybody always is excited about those ARP discounts
1: people will do for a discounted cup of coffee
0: I'm glad we're having this conversation I'm actually just thinking about how much my parents have done in their lives the idea that anybody would say they can or can't do something i get annoyed with the idea that they have neighbors who are bigoted like i get annoyed with that where do people clients at your center what where do they see ageism the most where do they feel it where do they get annoyed with it where are their frustration zones
2: i'm sure it's uh, everywhere it's gotta be i mean because you mm-hmm. can't take that off it's like your gender or, or your, your race yep you can't shut it's, that off
1: you know that there, there is a struggle when you start having to have those conversations with your family know, and the families try to make assumptions. I'll tell you a funny story. When we started the speed dating, I had a gentleman that signed up. He was, I think he was in his late seventies and his daughter called me and she was hot because I was putting her father in a vulnerable position that he was going to go to this speed dating thing. And, and I just, and I, I, you know, I understood, I tried to explain that I understood her concern, but that, he was an adult, and he was making this choice, and if I thought he was incapable of making his own decisions, I wouldn't let him participate, and she just was just, and I, I said, I'm not going to tell him no, he's he's choosing this, he's selecting this, this is his choice. How old was but, her father, uh, hold
0: on, hold on, how old was her dad?
1: He must have been right around 78
2: 79. so how and did it they... doesn't
0: even matter
2: i'm so sorry i will apologize for that lady because i know i have probably done something similar at some point in right. my history of caring for my mom <laughs> i'm telling you
1: like our family has a joke i love my dad but he doesn't know what he wants to be when he grows up, and he really likes to get married. And so that's just who he is. You know, my dad just went through treatment for uh, prostate cancer, and his biggest concern was what treatment was going to impact his sex life the least. Here I am, like, how can we just stay alive? How about that? That's a priority for him. You have to respect it quality of life I have to love it you
0: do respect it. I respect it it's quality of life and it's one of those things that if you are good enough at your life you can manage to keep in your life at least hopefully enough
1: I feel bad for you know kind of going on, on the other way like a little bit about the situations that my daughter deals with at work and I, I feel like millennials get put down all the time and so when she has an opinion like the older staff that she works with are like oh you millennials, and that's infuriating for her because she says, I went to college. I have this work experience. I have a valid opinion, and I have things to contribute. And it gets, dismi- it gets yeah. dismissed all the time.
2: Millennials are stereotyped for being unreliable, having a sense of entitlement, yeah. um, being the generation of we all get trophies. Yeah, um, These are common things right. that I've heard people
0: say. Definitely think millennials get a bad rep. But I also think that the generational gap that we're talking about, pre-internet, post-internet, makes people who knew life pre-internet look at people who live with life with the internet and think you have nothing in the world to ever complain about, ever. And not that I'm defending the angst against millennials, but I, I we owned a comic book shop and I had to hire people and I interviewed so many young people. When I was coming up, everything I did required some version of an internship that putting in the work for no pay. It's smart. Yeah. It's a smart way that they think they're like, F that, like, give me my money because they probably learned from our generation's mistakes. Like we've clearly not put them in a great situation. We've, they don't have any reason to look at us great right now. We look, look what we've kind of given them. When people feel disrespected by millennials, sometimes I feel like that disrespect is a little bit deserved. Is that bad to say?
2: I don't feel disrespected by millennials. I don't I either. But I think I think people a little bit older the same than me values do. Values that I have. Yeah. And that makes my day to day job a little bit harder because I can't afford to hire anybody except for millennials.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have
1: a gal that works for me, and she started off. She's twenty. I think she's a 600-hour unpaid internship 600 hours and I use and abuse every minute of those 600 hours but you know what it got her a paid job and she works for me now, and does a hell of a job but boy she gets it from you know even been the members
2: I think financially this generation is going to be better off than we are in generations before them though because Fingers they crossed. seem to be they seem to be very frugal though when they do decide to work or when they're committed to work. They're very creative and inventive in the things that they're doing. I think the internet has a lot to do with that because it allows them to create. You don't need an address, a physical address to start a business these days. This generation is really good at, you know, starting Etsy shops and finding creative ways to make money that maybe necessarily don't have to be in the system. They're not taking out loans for college the way we were. They got it. So they're saying, okay, if I can't afford to go to college, I got to work and save, and then I can go to college, or I need to find another way to make a living, you know what I mean, just to meet my basic needs. And I can appreciate that. I wish I would have had a little bit more of those types of insights at their age.
1: Absolutely. 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 Well, and I think just the internet gives them so much more exposure. Like, like, I feel like my daughter way, knows way more about what's going on in the world than I did at her age.
2: They do. They know everything because everything happens in five seconds.
1: Right. Like,
2: or no, actually it's live now. For sure. What are some of the efforts that are going on to make a positive impact on ageism? Wow. Well,
1: I mean, I can only speak for what we do. And so we made an intentional effort, like in designing new marketing materials to make sure that we worked with an ad agency who really helped us use some marketing images of older adults that are more active and diverse, being very intentional about the images that we're using and talking about, I, I take every chance I can get to talk about the activities that are going on in the center. Um, you know, I do think, like I said, unfortunately even in my own industry, we tend to be a little ageist and you know, we're we're not we're not being as bold as I think we could be in, in kind of fighting that stereotype.
0: Pure romance parties. Just one idea. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that was gonna be my next question is what do you think um Can I, it would take to get there? But,
0: but go ahead, Cheryl. Well, yeah, follow that up with what is it gonna take to get there? We're in fix it mode. Let's fix it, Kim. You have The law at your hands, you can affect change immediately. You can wave your magic wand and fix the ageism issue in one fell swoop. What does it take? What is it? What does that look like?
1: Well, I think, and we're kind of doing this with some of our programs. Nobody ever teaches you how to get older. You go to school to learn. You go to elementary school to learn to go to the next phase. You go to high school to go to college. You go to college to learn about the next phase of your life. Nobody ever teaches you how to manage that life after you retire. And we actually offer a curriculum, it's through the National Council on Aging, it's called the Aging Mastery Program. And it's it's targeted at those people that are moving into that phase and it's basically talking about you've been given this gift of longevity, let's talk about how you're gonna best use it. And so, um, and, and we go through all different parts of whether it's financial, relationships, physical health, and we talk about giving back to your community. And so it helps create a dialogue because Otherwise, you retire, and here you go. You've retired, and nobody's – what next? Do you have a plan? Do you know what you're going to do? How are you going to spend your time? You know, it used to be people would retire, and they'd sit on the porch in the rocking chair back in the, you know, 40s and 50s, but now we don't provide an opportunity for people to be coached or plan for what's next, and that can be really overwhelming to the point where I think some people almost shut down. And so I think more – companies and people that are, you know, putting retirees out in the world, they should be having that conversation. What's next? What's next for you? How are you going to stay healthy longer? How are you, what adventures are you going to have? You know, how are you going to, you, people are having whole second and third careers. Yeah. So I think just having that conversation is the first step because instead of just saying, you know, here, here's your watch for, you know, your gold watch, have a nice life. It's, you know, let's talk about what that looks like.
0: That's fantastic. It's
1: the same for
0: everybody. Leonica was talking about the, the promiscuity issue amongst the elderly community. Amongst the... Uh, I don't want to say elderly community. I'm trying to correct myself. Amongst the community we're talking about. Damn it. The way that you're talking about easing people into this stage of their life you know, there's education that comes with being on the dating scene at this age. Let's talk about that. There's education that comes with, uh, you know, retiring. And are, what are you going to do? Um, When people hit that zone where they hit that place where they're like, I don't know what's going to come next. What are resources that you know of that people maybe could start looking at or looking into? I mean, we talked about AARP, but it's a pretty good resource. AARP has a ton of resources on their website. And then... Um
1: National Council on Aging, NCOA .org, has a ton of really good resources in terms of um, looking at you know how prepared you are financially. Um, they actually have some, I believe they've got some senior like job assistance. So that if you wanted to go into some sort of different career, that they've got some assistance with that. They're the ones that created this aging mastery program curriculum that we've been running. So. Um, there's, there's a lot out there. I think between NCOA and, and ARP, you would, there's a lot you could find.
0: And I used to work for SCORE. It used to stand for the Service Corps of Retired Executives. and so a lot of people from the corporate world who would re- retire and then, you know, mentor people starting small businesses. Um, they're right. always looking for mentors too. So Kim, we could chat all night. I'm going to wrap us up and this conversation here, but maybe we'll have you on again to, to chat about the, um. The toy parties for adults and see how that goes.
1: <laughs> well, I thanks for letting me let me chat. Have a good night, Kim. Bye. Thank you.
0: You go. On, darling. Hi, baby. What do you want to do? We gotta talk something about this damn Kavanaugh shit, right?
2: Man, I of course couldn't watch the confirmation or nothing, but I saw pictures of him and his family and um, whoever the justice was that confirmed him. And all I could think of was, oh my God, those poor girls. Because karma. Mm.
0: Can you even imagine? Somebody told me one time that it's really, really bad luck to talk about somebody else's karma. So I won't comment on that. But what I will say... I don't believe in luck. (laughs) ...was disgusting. What was disgusting to me was... The president apologizing on behalf of the nation, saying that for the way that Brett Kavanaugh was treated and also saying that he was proven innocent. And neither of those are true. On behalf of the nation, not behalf of my nation. That man is a psycho. This Rebecca Trazer book, she was on that podcast that you sent me, and she mm-hmm. she was talking about the rage. I am so angry with this Trump thing. I'm so angry that this is the standard. I'm so angry about it. I am pissed. And I was pissed before when I knew that there were social injustices. But at least I felt like the ship was going in the right general direction. We have literally turned the anger and they're listening to this lady, the book, I've got to get it, Good and Mad. I got to get that book. I I have to feel like this feeling is for good. There's a reason I'm feeling this, right?
2: I'm not even mad anymore. I'm just disgusted. <sighs> I am so freaking disgusted. We have a president who likes to grab him in a and the Supreme Court justice that just doesn't respect women at all.
0: And you have enough people who are willing to say that. And you have enough people who are willing to say he's a bad decision maker. They couldn't come up with anybody better. Nobody. A Supreme Court justice, the lifetime appointment and the laws that he's going to be able to change. Leonica, I have got to let you hear the end of Bill Maher from Friday night. Really? Before I play this, a few things. Shout out to Bill Maher. I love you. I love your show. I shouldn't say I love you because that that makes it sound like I've got like fangirl crush. But like, I don't mean it like that. When I say I love you, I mean, he makes sense to me. I get it. He's willing to call the president a traitor. I'm down. Yes, dude's a traitor. Okay. Uh, So you respect him. I respect him implicitly. He's the type of guy where it's a 50-50 crapshoot. You know how Lauren let me down and she didn't show up for her concert? Mm-hmm. Bill Maher's a 50-50 crapshoot. I feel like he's a 50-50 shot that he could either be really, really cool or a dick. But
2: uh, you know, It might depend on what's going on, you know? Yeah, let's
0: let's hope that I actually have that chance to meet him and then I'll figure Did it out. Did Lauren give you your money back? Yeah, we got our money okay. back. Um, okay, One of the things when Chris and I were talking about moving to Florida, we said, you know, when we were in Indiana, Indiana went blue. It'd be really great if we could move down to Florida and turn it blue. And it got us talking about how really, there's no way we're gonna change the electoral college. I mean, it's gonna take forever and 10 years to turn around that ship, like to fix the electoral college, that's a big deal. But maybe what we could start doing is encouraging people from heavy populated blue states to invest in real estate in red states, move to states where you're gonna make a difference. Florida apparently is one of the only states that still has a law where ex-felons cannot vote. So that's yeah, that's I on the ballot. That. Yeah, that's on the ballot. And I was like, that's going to be awesome. if, Assuming a big chunk of those people vote blue. Because now, really, all it comes down to is numbers. You know, we were talking about numbers last time. Nothing else is going to change this but sheer numbers. Mm-hmm. We need the numbers. Well, and people not to cheat. And that's
2: the scary part <laughs> because and no you, Russians. Know, you say if we could move to a state, but then they've been doing all this gerrymandering. Mm-hmm. Like we have a, a bill proposal to on the ballot in Michigan this year in November to create a citizen based, um, group to draw up the districts for voting because we know that the Republican field, um, Senate has redistributed the lines every ten years in favor of themselves. So it's like we have very weird shaped districts. And if you put it on the map, you'll be like, "Ha!" Huh? You know, there's most people would draw squares or you know rectangles or something like that. But you can see where they have literally decided where they've drawn it based on their voting pools so to ensure that they have the boat so that they can continue to control the house and they're choosing their voters instead of their voters choosing them it's messed up and it happens every 10 years
0: so hopefully that'll pass Jerry if people manner. go and vote numbers pure numbers this is what um, Bill Maher said at the closing of his show
3: the Constitution is not on our side. Bush II and Trump both lost the popular vote. They shouldn't be picking Supreme Court justices at all. Had the Democrats... <laughs> had the Democrats who actually won the popular vote been in the Oval Office, we'd now have a 7-2 to two liberal majority on the court. Instead, as usual... We all like to pit our hopes this week on Senator Susan Collins of Maine, population Stephen King, two lobsters and a bear. What? When the deck is this stacked against you and the other party cheats, Democrats have no margin for error or bullshit you know who you are. Or complacency. Republicans in Texas were able to draw those districts with racially discriminatory intent because they won the state house. Democrats lost a thousand state legislature seats in the last ten years. Can't do it. We just can't do it like that. We need to win elections so we can protect voting rights so we can win elections. Next month. Next month, there is a referendum on the ballot in Florida, the state that so often decides our elections to restore mm-hmm. the voting rights of 1.4 million ex-felons who currently cannot vote. It could turn Florida blue, which turns America blue. So next time you want to scream at a politician, move to Florida and help change that law, because power begets power, and we got to beget some for ourselves. <laughs>
0: Oh, Bill, talk to me, friend.
2: do you think you're so slick? You're just trying to get me to move to Florida.
1: <laughs>
0: come on now! Let's change the numbers. I mean, really. You know, I had a friend say, well, I'm never going to come down there because they've got the uh, stand your ground law. The
2: death but, penalty.
0: But between Andrew Gillum and this whole... Uh, Issue of these felons that have not been able to vote. What what do you say? 1.6 million or 1.4 million? And how batshit Mickey Ficky Crazy 45 is. Like, I hope that I can be part of some version of change here.
2: Good, because America has a history of criminalizing people just so that they can protect their privilege. The 13th Amendment set it forth. That's kind of what they were talking about in that article you sent me. Basically, that amendment happened after the Civil War. They abolished slavery. And when they did it, they said that slavery was illegal unless a person had been duly convicted of a crime. So criminals could be enslaved. And ever since then, that's how they stayed in control by criminalizing everything. Like, I don't know, your chickens got loose, you're a felon. <laughs> I mean, basically, you got a dime of marijuana, you're a felon. Yeah. You know, you're know, you selling crack, you're a felon.
0: Yeah.
2: The documentary um, 13th by, uh, what's her name? Ava DuVernay, I think, Um, she talks about how all the policies from the Civil War on has built the pipeline to prison and led to mass incarceration just so people could stay in control. And then you add that with other policies like housing discrimination and how Um, the banking industry approved loans and mortgages for certain areas that had certain populations and left other populations out, it, yeah, of course, they, they don't want felons to vote. They want as many of us criminalized as possible so they can do whatever they want. You could shoot a criminal in the back. You can shoot a criminal if you feel threatened by their cell phone or whatever they may have in their hand, cigarette. And part of the reason why they've always done it is for the votes. That's how they define everything.
0: The numbers. They want their numbers. Yeah. So they I mean, can control they it. They
2: defined us as three fifths of a man. It was because it was about voting rights and how much your vote counted.
0: You know, we were talking about the secret society before. That's like why Kavanaugh is in place. Mm -hmm. I saw a thing today about how um, the Bush family, the Collins family, and the Kavanaugh family are all good family friends. Oh, of course. I mean, that's like crazy in and of itself. Bush was, was out touting Kavanaugh and telling everybody, calling everybody, telling them to vote. And it was just like george bush i was actually starting to give you an iota respect in comparison to this guy but then you went and did that okay fine
2: because they caught in a favor yeah oh yeah i'm sure they did something maybe help bush steal his election i mean they did something so that's what they do that's what we don't do enough
0: women one women don't do it two people of color don't do it this thing that i sent to you about the amendment it's amendment four Mm -hmm. Uh, Here in Florida, two leading advocates and most dogged supporters make for Strange Bad Fellows, Neil Voltz, a white conservative former congressional chief of staff who was sentenced to probation for his role in a lobbying scandal, and Desmond Mead, a black formerly homeless man who served several years in prison for drug and weapon charges. Together, they're asking the state's voters, citizens they emphasize just like them, for forgiveness. Returning citizens, a term the movement's organizers much prefer to felons, across the state are visiting churches, speaking at community events, and telling their neighbors about their experience. Florida is one of just three states in the nation to automatically and permanently keep anyone who has committed a felony from ever voting again. And this is the grassroots movement that they are leading. This is according to Vox, this article. Felon disenfranchisement clauses date back as far as America's colonial period when voting was limited to white men. The United States was founded as an experiment in democracy, which it was. It was a very limited experiment, said Mark Maurer, the executive director of the Sentencing Project, a national nonprofit. Women couldn't vote. African-Americans couldn't vote. Illiterates, poor people, and also people with felony convictions. Over the course of 200 years, we've done away with all those other exclusions. We now look back on them with a great deal of national embarrassment.
2: Some people don't, I don't think. I think people in that secret society might want to revert that because that will keep them in power. Like you said, that's the only way Trump is not leaving the White House. It's going to be some funky stuff in the mix.
0: I do not know how to fix this. Okay, we cannot change the electoral college.
2: We need to change every damn thing. We need a new constitution, a new... Way to vote a new way to create democracy. We need a new flag. We need a new National anthem. We need a new commitment to America Like the America we live in is not the American that they wrote the Constitution for in 17 whatever
0: agreed on all fronts except for the only way that is fathomable to change any of this is to get the right-minded people in the seats that make the decisions that make the laws.
2: And that's funny too, because really that would take a lot of advocacy and somebody would have to put themselves in a vulnerable position to advocate for that. And then they have a target on their backs.
0: That's why it's, that's exactly why I think a lot of, it takes a lot of courage for anybody to run for public office because you are setting yourself up for that public d- scrutiny. scrutiny and yuck that people will hurl at you just to hurl at you. And especially in today's day and age, people will say and do any Mickey Ficky thing. They will do anything. To win, to get ahead for money, at least, at least still win. I'm trying to look at things that I feel like are tangible in my lifetime, potentially. <laughs> we were just talking to to Kim Phillips about ageism. Like, I feel like there's a lot of stuff I'm trying to do before I go. And one of those things is if I've got to affect change as far as like getting the right people into the right positions, I will do the best I can for my kid. And it's not just the the idea of. Well, if it's a woman, you should. yeah, we should make sure there's way more women. Make, I think that men have had plenty of opportunity to screw all of this up. They've been given plenty of opportunity. I would love a clean slate on all kinds of fronts, including bringing a whole lot of females into a whole lot of positions. But that stuff's not going to change until we start changing the people who are in power. We just got to start changing those people. They've got to look and sound and talk and walk different. The ones who are there are everything up. So how can we
2: motivate the disenfranchised people, the people who say, my vote doesn't count anyway, they're gonna put in office whoever they want?
0: This is a stamp in history. I'm sure there's been generations before us that have felt this way, but right now, we are at a severe crossroads, like homeboy that just got put into the Supreme Court is going to and has the ability to really do some damage. If you do things like outlaw abortion and, you know, get women sick or imprisoned because they are having a. Like, you're. We're. Go, no. No. No, 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 no. My body, my body, my body. A man should not be able to tell me what to do with my body. Period, 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 period. period done. Period. Done. Like. And if you don't want to have the conversation about whether or not a man can tell you what to do with your body or not do with your body, there's enough of us women that are. Educated and well spoken enough that we will that we're willing to fight that every step of the way.
2: But women too have to hash away their differences,
0: yeah, as
2: well, so that they can create an agenda that you know, and and, and that's the hard thing because then you do have women who are going to break the line, like we saw in the Kavanaugh confirmations, that lady whose name I won't say who decided. That she would vote for him. Oh, for Susan me. Collins. <laughs> I'm not saying her name either. She doesn't deserve to have her name come out my mouth. She is.
0: I have some um, things to say to her.
2: You know, as a woman. Oh, and if she's a mother, you know, that, yeah. What she. I mean,
0: she doesn't surprise me. She's one of them. She's in their little circle. Well, and they want to stay in their
2: circle, and that's why they do the things that they do, so they
0: don't lose their prestige. You saw that um, Nikki Haley resigned, right? The UN. Uh, yeah, what do ambassador? you think is up with that? I think she's ready to to separate herself from the Trump people. Maybe she finally got some sense. I have a note here. It says Taylor Swift. Speaking out about her political views finally. Nikki Haley resigns finally. Like, Taylor Swift had to get 22 uh, AMAs and has sold a gazillion records before she was willing to come out and say these are my politics. I don't believe in you know that side of things. Nikki Haley, I don't. I didn't watch the news today, but as far as I understand, she just a lot of people think that it's political. Like she's ready to go join the world of politics. Like to go be not that she's not already in it, but she's ready to run for something because it'll give her better money. Right, and that's what I want
2: to know. In what capacity is she going to be an ally? She won't be
0: an ally for she'll be she's. If you ever had the audacity to work for him for even this much time, I don't think you're ever an ally.
2: Girl, work for him. I couldn't even look at him. Oh my god, I would
0: get arrested because I think I would vomit. You know that day he sent out the text? Ugh. And I told you the only word that came to my mind was vomit. Vomit. Literally, the idea of that man being able to ever even come close to contacting me in any way just made me want to vomit. Just vomit. Mm-hmm. Vomit, vomit, vomit. I felt like I needed to...
2: Yeah, that was too personal.
0: Yeah, that's too. He, that was a space invasion I did not like. Yeah. Stay away. The book uh, that I was... I'm hoping to read before the next time we talk or at least get a good dent into is called Good and Mad. But it's a lot about not rage because of the election or rage because of Donald Trump. It's just how enraged we are and what our rage as women has done in the past and how it affects us, like bottling it up and not being able to express ourselves from young ages and what that does to us long-term. So I've been a little enraged from before Donald Trump was elected for a lot of things like I told you before but I think Mm -hmm. yes Che I can wipe your butt I've been asked to wipe a butt
1: Uh, the life (laughs) (laughs) I don't care if you listen